Welcome to the LI Law Podcast. We feature legal issues and developments which affect Long Island residents and business owners. I am your host, Sahava Schechter. Our guest on this 61st episode is Paul L. Scrum Esquire, partner at Halpern and Scrum Law at PLLC in Garden City, New York. Paul is a labor and employment lawyer who represents and advises employers and organizations on compliance and preventative measures in order to avoid expensive litigation and costly government penalties. Most of our discussion will concern employer-related issues. Please check out the show notes for more information about Paul and for his contact information. Please also keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. So let's get started. Paul, please tell our listeners about yourself and your law practice. Great. Thanks. Uh, good afternoon. And thanks for having me, Zahava. Uh, as you mentioned, I am a partner at Halpern and Scrum Law. Um, the firm was started by my partner, Jules Halpern, um, with the goal of helping businesses um, stay in compliance with the myriad of employment laws, federal, state, local, um, that affect the workplace. Uh, he saw a gap in between, um, you know, the the small smaller businesses not having a sophisticated HR department, they were really getting left behind, and no one was really counseling them on these kinds of laws. So he started the practice with the idea of of covering that gap and providing insight into compliance issues in the workplace. And how did you come to employment law? How did you choose this area of law? Yeah, so in, in law school, way back when, we, um, I started on the Labor and Employment Journal at Hofstra. Uh, it really got me into the topic area. It got me really interested in it. And in my 2L to 3L year, you know, second year to third year in law school, I joined uh, another Long Island firm as an intern. And, and that's where I really developed my interest and got to see, you know, on the ground type work and how, how this area works. Okay, very good. So Paul, there's a lot to discuss in connection with labor law and general tips to our listeners. We're going to primarily focus today on three issues. And the first one will be sexual harassment claims. What should our listeners know about developments in this area of the law? Sure. So sexual harassment complaints in the workplace really have been rising at a steady rate. Um, in 2019, New York passed legislation to offer protect, more protections for employees in light of the Me Too movement, right? Uh, during that time, there were a lot of high-level executives and people in the media and politicians coming under uh, investigation for complaints against them or allegations against them of sexual harassment, uh, you know, whether it's their employees or actors and actresses in the Harvey Weinstein situation. Um, so really the state passed this, this really state-of-the-art law in 2019 to, you know, as an answer to the Me Too movement. So what that did is it expanded the definition of what constitutes harassment in the workplace, it requires all employers in New York State, no matter what size you are, to do annual training in anti-harassment and anti-discrimination. Um, and it extended the, the statute of limitations for filing a complaint. So employees have more time, used to be one year, now it's three years, um, to file a complaint of sexual harassment with the courts in New York State. 
Okay. And so we've talked on a practical level, a little bit about training. What other practical tips do you have for employers uh, who want to protect themselves against a, a, a sexual harassment claim or prevent that? Right. So training is a, is a big aspect of it. And then you have your HR infrastructure. You really want to make sure your policies are strong. So we do a lot of employee handbooks. We do 30 to 40 a year. Um, and having in, within that handbook is having a strong sexual harassment, anti-harassment policy. Um, the state mandated the policy as part of that new law that I, I just mentioned. And there's certain things that you want to include in those policies, i.e. reporting procedures. You know, if there's a, if there is a, an allegation of harassment, where that person can go to report it to, whether it's the HR person or uh, a supervisor, manager, you want to define that in your policy. Okay. And do these laws also relate to other types of harassment, whether racially based or gender based? <laughs> Are there, are there any um, ramifications for that type of allegation? Yes, for sure. So, so these laws apply to discrimination as well and other protected categories or classes as we call them in our field, race, um, age, disability, all of those <clears throat> New York State uh, protected classes are covered in the law. Okay. Are there also federal laws which address these uh, sexual and other harassment issues, or is it primarily state-based? There are uh, federal laws, um, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. That's the federal law that protects employees against discrimination and harassment in the workplace. Um, and there's also some age discrimination laws that are a subsection of that, as well as the ADA, which applies to disability. Okay. Um, Americans with Disabilities Act. Obviously, there's much more to say. Um, and if anyone has a question, they can they can call you, they can look at the show notes and find your information. I want to move on to a, a second topic in this area of labor and, and employment law. Many of us on Long Island uh, have returned to taking the LIRR or, or, or are um, traveling into New York City uh, to return in person to work. And I I want to speak about the uh, New York City pay transparency law. What is this? Does it have a co corollary on Long Island or elsewhere in New York State? And what do our listeners need to know? Sure. So, so this law, the pay transparency law, is a New York City law. So any Long Islander who has a business in the city or has employees in the city, uh, which many of our Long Island clients do. They typically have a branch in the city or their employees are working out there on various projects. They have to abide by this law. Um, it's, it's a law that requires um, you to disclose what the salary amounts will be for a particular position when you have an open position. So on the job postings, you need to post actually a range of what the salary is. And even for promotions, Within for current employees, you have to uh, give everybody notice if they're applying internally as to what the range of the salary will be. Um, why, why was this law passed? Was this a, a gender issue a, a, that women were paid less than men for the same job or, or were there other issues involved? 
Yeah, that's the the main driver behind it is the equal pay uh, concerns that just as our society has kind of raised. You saw it with the U.S. women's soccer team. Um, there there are a lot of studies that show there are pay gaps from from between women and men. So the city, which you know New York City, they pass very progressive employment laws. They're usually kind of at the front of of the train in that regard. Um, they they saw th- what was happening societally and and they developed this law to and the hopes is that by being transparent, um, you know those pay gaps will start to go away. Okay, so let's move on to our third issue, that of the leave laws, uh, paid family leave, New York City paid safe and sick leave, etc. What can you tell our listeners about this area of the law? Yeah, so this area of the law has become extremely important given the pandemic, right? Uh, with, with COVID, the legislators have really expanded these laws to apply to taking the time off for COVID, to taking time off if your loved one has COVID, um, if you need to get a vaccine, or, or a booster shot, whether your employer is requiring it or the government's requiring it, whoever, you have to give pay time off to get that vaccine up to four hours. So there's all of these sick leave laws that have come about, uh, you know, have arisen out of the COVID pandemic. New York State passed a, a sick leave law that went into effect um, last year that was out of a result of COVID they saw the need for just a general paid sick leave law when these kinds of situations arise. So every employer in the state has to now provide a certain amount of sick leave, you know, really up to 40 hours um, a, a year of paid sick leave time. Is this a direct result of, of COVID or it just happened to be coincidental? There was, there was momentum uh, for the general paid sick leave type laws prior to COVID. Uh, New York City, like I said, they're always at the front, uh, head of the head of the train. They had a, a New York City paid sick and safe leave law uh, for years now, um, and a lot of other jurisdictions throughout the country have have passed them. Washington D.C., California, you you see them really popping up everywhere now. Um, so the state, you know, did it for you know made it applicable for the whole state. You know, f- forty hours or five full time days of paid sick leave a year. It's a good thing. Okay. And that's a good segue to our feature called what is on your desk, a recent matter you had handled for a client. So Paul, what's on your desk? (laughs) So, so wage and hour issues have become really prevalent during COVID, right? We've, when I say wage and hour issues, it's making sure as employers that we're paying our employees properly including minimum wage and overtime uh, for any hours that they work over 40. Um, It really has become a concern in light of COVID because employees want to make sure they're being paid everything that they're due, um, especially during the stressful times of COVID. So they're becoming, employers are becoming more educated on, you know, how to pay their employees properly and employees are looking to conserve their jobs and making sure they're getting this proper pay. Um, so right now we have a case, uh, it's a small business. They were sued for not paying overtime uh, to the plaintiff. The client failed to track the employee's time 
and the employee is claiming that they worked about 60 hours a week, right? Um, we know this to not be the case, uh, but without proper time records, our client was put into a precarious position and the burden is on them to prove what the hours worked were actually, right? Okay, very so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened there? What, what could have been done differently had, had the client yeah. first uh, sought legal intervention? Yeah, of course. So with our clients, we're very big on education and preventative work. We want our clients to stay out of trouble and avoid these types of issues, whether it's little litigation or an audit from the government. Um, and what, what we would have done is we would have told them, hey, you need to have time records, whether it's through a timesheet, time handwritten timesheets or a pay clock, a mobile app, something for tracking this employee's time, right? And if, if you have those time records, you don't have to later try to defend in court when they're saying they're working 60 hours a week, you actually have the time records. No, no, no. They use a biometric time clock with their handprint. And this is the, this is the time that they work, right? Um, and then you're not facing 20 hours of overtime where you shouldn't have had it in the first place, you know? That's a very good tip for, um, yeah. for employers. Are there any other labor law developments which you see particularly on Long Island as opposed to New York City? Is there anything specific to the island happening? Yeah, the, I mean, the island, similar to the city, really is, has changed in terms of what the workplace looks like in light of the pandemic, right? The workforce on Long Island has trimmed to 1.42 million people with 109,000 pre-pandemic jobs that have yet to come back. Um, and those Long Islanders who quit their jobs are among the 200,000 in New York State who quit their jobs. So that's a 48% increase from the 135,000 employees statewide who quit their jobs at the height of the pandemic back in August of 2020. So clearly things are changing. The culture of work has changed. Um, you talked about the Long Island Railroad, how ridership is down 55% of pre-pandemic levels. That's a big, big number, right? Um, and so we've become more comfortable working from home in light of the pandemic. And a lot of our clients are, are not forcing their employees to go back full time. We're really seeing a hybrid model, you know, two or three days in the office and two or three days at home. Right. So it's, it's is that a, a good thing for employers that the employees are working from home? Does that does that lead to better product productivity? What do you it, think? It really all depends. It depends on the type of business you're running. Um, it depends on how well you're managing your employees at home and being cognizant of the issues that it creates. There's privacy issues, confidentiality issues. Cybersecurity issues are, you know, are your uh, work platforms that you're giving your employees to work on safe? Are they keeping them safe? Uh, work, workers' comp issues, if they get injured at home, is that considered a workers' comp claim? I don't know. There's, it depends. Um, so you, have to, you also have to track their hours, which becomes difficult when they're not actually coming into the workplace. You have to get creative, whether it's through a mobile app or using Microsoft Teams to track time. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, 
but you have to be cognizant that these issues um, are created by a hybrid type of model. Yeah, you, Paul, you've brought up a lot of issues that are very important, and I encourage our listeners to reach out to you for further discussion because obviously we can't uh, discuss more yeah. detail, but these are very important issues for which employers and employees need to be aware. Um, we're going to move on to our segment, Rest in Peace, someone you know who recently died and made a great contribution to our Long Island community. Paul, whom do you remember? Sure. So recently, unfortunately, uh, a childhood friend of mine, uh, his father passed away. His name was Peter Carey. Um, he had a great impact not only on myself, but many that I know in the Oakdale Bohemia uh, community on Long Island. Uh, he was a very con man. He was very active in youth sports. Uh, he worked for the town of Islip. Um, and everyone I've talked to, you know, really respects him. And uh, the, the Carey family is, is a very great family. And, you know, he, he definitely will be missed. So thank you for, for even giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. To we, we are a community here on Long Island and we, mm -hmm. uh, we definitely need to care for each other. So Paul, if you had one final piece of advice to employers, big or small, what would it be? Sure. So as I mentioned, our firm is very focused on preventative work. We want to keep our clients out of trouble. So it's very important for employers to think about being proactive <clears throat> when it comes to their employees. So, <clears throat> sorry, as I have. Okay, great. So stressing the importance of proactiveness when it comes to your employees to avoid these lawsuits and, and the Department of Labor coming in and auditing your workplace, you really need to ensure you have a strong compliance structure, uh, infrastructure, um, and, and talk to an attorney. Talk about, you know, what you're going to do when it comes to laying off an employee, terminating an employee, um, making sure you have your policies in place. We talked about the harassment policy, but there's a myriad of policies that not only are required by law, but that are suggested or recommended um, to, as a preventative measure. Um, so really approaching these issues in a legally sound way before they blow up um, can save employers a lot of time, stress, money. Um, and that's really the focus of our firm, right? We want to service that middle market who doesn't, may not have a, a particular um, HR executive that they can lean on. Um, or they just need general legal advice when it comes to their employees. Okay. It sounds uh, like failure to prepare is preparing to fail. So the better, yeah, the better uh, course of action here is to get ahead of the curve, to talk to the lawyer, to find out what needs to be done as an employer right. to prevent further spending down the road. And that's it for our 61st episode. Thank you so much, Paul Scrum, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you to have us. It was a pleasure and I appreciate you know you taking the time. Absolutely. And to our listeners, please contact Paul if you have specific employment law questions or concerns. His bio and uh, contact information are in the show notes. The LI Law Podcast keeps you updated on Long Island legal developments and is your podcast for local legal tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening. <laughs>